the Owasso Lions. This is the Wild Eye Podcast. Hey everybody, my name is Jerry, I'm from Wild Eye, and in this episode, Andrew catches up with Dr. Shivani Bala of Iwaso Lions. Now, Iwaso Lions is dedicated to conserving lions and other large carnivores by promoting coexistence between people and wildlife. They're an independent, 100% African wildlife conservation organization, and they're based in Samburu, Isiolo, and Nairobi, and they engage and build the capacity of key demographic groups such as elders, warriors, women, and children by developing approaches to reduce human carnivore conflict. They conduct applied research and work within certain communities to address ecological problems. They carry out educational initiatives to reinforce traditionally held beliefs and the evolving culture of wildlife conservation across the landscapes. So I hope you guys enjoy this conversation and then please make sure to go and check out the website once you're done. Hope you guys enjoy. Shivani Bala, thank you so much for your time. Where, just to give people an idea, where in the world are we actually connecting with you from? Hi, Andrew. I'm here in Samburu in northern Kenya. Northern Kenya. Um, That's quite remote, but your signal is actually pretty good. Um, Obviously, running a conservation NGO out in the middle of nowhere, you've got to have some sort of infrastructure in place, I guess. (laughs) We do, but it's changed a lot over the 15 years. It started off with having to climb hills to get some kind of internet or having to get on a bike or a car to get to another hill. And then over time, it slowly increased. And now we actually have really good cell phone coverage. So, yes, things have definitely changed from when we started to where we are now. Amazing. Talking of talking of when you started 15 years ago, how did this all come together? So it all came together with very little of an idea. I really arrived here with no plan, no no real vision or strategy of what I was doing. I didn't know how I would do things or when I would do things. But what was very clear to me was why I was here. And the why is because lions are in trouble and lions across Africa are in trouble. There's only about six countries left in the whole continent that have over a thousand lions. And lions in Kenya, my own country, are in trouble. We've only got about 2,000, 2,500 lions left. So the why was very clear to me. And no one had done any lion work in northern Kenya. I'd always heard that lions in southern Kenya were facing threats and challenges, but nothing was really known about the north. So that why is what drove me and that is what really led me to begin Iwasa Lions with my team to try and understand what was happening with the lion population in northern Kenya and what could we do to either increase numbers or at least stabilize numbers? Because it it was a time when I kept seeing lions disappear or just there were so many questions. I just didn't know what was happening to this lion population. So it's really it's what really drove drove us to begin. And, you know, looking at your the range of programs that you have in place, I mean, maybe jumping around a little bit on the list here, but I'm pretty sure you you didn't have all of those to begin with. And as uh, Iwaso Lions and your work there has evolved, you've started to identify new needs and start new initiatives and new programs to cater to those particular concerns. So um, maybe the the landscape in which you work, before we go into the programs, um, it's it's quite a diverse 
landscape in terms of the vegetation, the habitat, but the inhabitants, the land use types. You've got conservancies, you've got local communities, you've got national park. Just do you want to just maybe explain that uh, the, the kind of the landscape that you're working in as Iwasa Alliance? I always say that Northern Kenya is really unique and I'm, I am biased, but I've lived here for 20 years and I do think it is just one of the most spectacular places ever that I've ever seen. It's a, it's a multi-use landscape. So you've got three national reserves, which we work in, Samburu, Buffalo Springs and Shaba, and they are protected areas. Right around these national reserves are community conservancies. And these are just amazing landscapes where people, their livestock and wildlife all share the same land. So what was really interesting from the beginning was us trying to understand how do lions actually live alongside people? Because it is it it is a challenging landscape for lions and all wildlife. It's very, very dry. In fact, the Iwasa Nyura River, which is right in front of me here, it's where we get our name from, is dry. It's been dry for a couple of months and it's the real lifeline of this region. So, of course, when it dries up like this, it's very, very challenging for communities, their livestock and all the wildlife who are trying to navigate their way through this very complex landscape and find safe places to hide in in terms of lions. It's such a challenge for them to find enough food. So it's it's a very unique landscape, a very diverse one and just a very special one because it's one of those few places you can you can see where communities are have such a strong culture and such strong traditions around wildlife. Wildlife is centered in so much of what they do. Pastoralism is such a key part of what happens in this landscape. And there's just not many places like that anymore. It's unfenced, animals are free to move in and out between the protected areas and the community lands. And Coexistence is this term that you hear so much where communities and wildlife live alongside one another. And here is one place. Happily ever after. Happily ever after. <laughs> I, I'm not sure how happy it is, but where it, this is one place you can actually see it happen. You can see, you know, a herder with 30 of his goats and right behind him. 10 big bull elephants walk and, you know, they'll come and drink from a livestock hole during the day and at night lions will come and drink from them. It's pretty spectacular. Uh, it really is diverse and uh, from every way that you look at it. And I think that also presents your team with so many unique challenges within this landscape where you've got all of these kind of literally the melting pot of these interfaces between humans, wildlife, conservation, land utilization and throw in an arid environment under severe strain from extended periods of drought. And, you know, it really is a, a, a challenging space to work in. And so maybe if we start to look at some of the, the programs and we move on to that, maybe the first one that immediately jumps to mind, and it's a big one, I think, across the continent, is this human-wildlife conflict. And, you know, you know, we'll talk, talk to Guy Weston down in the south and in the South Rift Valley and hear him there. And, he, you know, he's saying, well, there's no real human-wildlife conflict here because when a cattle is, uh, cattle are predated upon, um, the people understand, well, that, that's my lion that has actually killed that cow. You know, the, so animals are being killed by lions, but the perception of it has changed because of the ownership there. Is that the case in this environment? And what are the sort of challenges that you guys see with human wildlife conflict? I know your team are busy digging holes, trying to expose water in the river to try and give pastoralists places to take their cattle and goats to drink 
without coming into contact with wildlife and just trying to mitigate that sort of impact. It must be a challenge. Yeah, it's definitely a challenging landscape. It's such a dry one. As you said, we're facing frequent droughts here. The river keeps drying up every year now. It never used to dry up and now it dries up all the time. And when these challenges keep you know, keep coming on and keep getting harder and harder for, for wildlife and communities, inevitably there's some type of conflict. In, in terms of lions, what happens is often they don't have enough food and they're struggling to move from one place to another. They're struggling to find one safe habitat to, you know, to others in the area. And often when they are moving from place to place, they come into contact with cattle and camels, cows, goats, donkeys. They're everywhere here. And it is the livelihood of the Samburu communities. It's their bank. It's their wealth. It's who they are. Everything about them is their livestock. And unfortunately, when a lion comes along and is looking for food and and targets a camel or a cow, understandably, there's so much anger and resentment, and often lions will be shot in retaliation. And this is really the main threat we addressed when we started Iwasa Lions. It was this threat of retaliatory killing. It was this whole problem of lions being shot after they kill livestock. And one of the first programs we started to address this threat is the Warrior Watch program. And what's exciting about that program is it started in 2010 by a young Samburu warrior himself. He's not a warrior anymore. He's a junior elder, but his name is Jenneria and he's our director of community conservation. And Jenneria was a warrior and he said, Shivani, if we want to stop these, the killing of lions, we've got to involve my own demographic, my own age group. And so that was the beginning of the Warrior Watch program. And the warriors are out every day tracking lions, so they see exactly where lions have gone, which bushes they've gone into. They communicate that message to herders, so herders can avoid taking livestock there in, in, the, in the first place. So we're avoiding conflict right from the beginning. And warriors also in vehicles tracking them, making sure that, you know, that the, the lions are safe in various areas. If conflict does happen to take place, the warriors are the first responders. So they get there really quickly and will speak to the community and the livestock owner and just really work with them and encourage them not to go out and retaliate. And this was very much our first threat when we started. It was one that was really affecting the lion population and one that we were really trying to see how can we, we address. And the warriors have now... Uh, become elders and we now have a new group of warriors that joined us two years ago so we've actually come full circle which is really exciting for the project Jenneria yeah, yeah. and his older team of warriors are now all lion governors junior elders so they're the real decision makers in the society and we have eight very energetic enthusiastic young warriors who joined us two years ago and they've really taken over and Jenneria has trained them mentored them and they're the ones now who are really keeping lions safe, while the lion governors do different roles within their own villages, keeping lions safe in their own way, mainly through a lot of awareness and community meetings. So that that was a really, yeah, it's been a very exciting program over the last 13 years. And the warriors have saved lions so many times, hundreds of times over the last decade. They have stopped the killing of lions. They have really kept thousands of livestock safe and you know avoid they've avoided so many situations where lions would would kill a cow or a camel and lion population is now stable we've actually had our highest lion population in 
in 15 years was recorded last year. So it was a big year for us. And uh, yeah, very much uh, coming down to the fact that the the warriors have just really addressed that issue of retaliatory killing. So that was our first program. And uh, very soon followed by our Mama Simba program, a couple of years later, the women in the region were feeling a little left out, saying, why aren't we involved in lion conservation? <laughs> and so they started their own program. Again, what is so exciting about these programs is they're very much community initiated and community led. This is not me coming along saying, let me teach you all how to coexist with lions. It's absolutely not that. Coexistence has happened for generations. It's the communities themselves figuring out how best they can continue to coexist with lions, despite all the new threats and challenges that are coming coming along. So Mama that Simba, ownership, the concept of ownership again, you know, people very, owning. Very much so. There's a huge concept of ownership and culture plays a big part in this because wildlife have been part of their culture forever. And that that plays a huge role in wildlife conservation, because as Jenneria likes to say, he says, why have we come up with this name conservation? We've been doing conservation forever. We just never called it that. Uh, but yes, culture is a huge part of that. And, and it's so strong in the work the warriors do. It's so strong in the work the Mama Simbas do. They are out every day digging water holes for livestock during the day, wildlife at night. They are talking to children and young women about culture and conservation. Um, Mantelli is the first woman driver in this whole region. She drives around in her vehicle and she goes around and she's, you know, looking for lions. She's working with the women on lion habitat recovery programs. The women are just so are so busy and really unstoppable. And it's been fantastic to see it being led by a young Samburu woman herself, Mantelli. So yeah, very exciting program. And the same year Mama Simba started, Lion Kids Camp started. That was very much based on my, a lot is, you know, my feelings when I was a child growing up in Kenya. I was born in Nairobi and very lucky as a child to go on safari with my parents. But the reality is most children don't get to go on safari. They see the negative side of wildlife. They see yeah. lions killing a camel. They see a leopard that's killed a goat. They see an elephant chasing someone. And these are the children who really are a new generation of conservationists. So our Lion Kids Camp program, it's a five-day program. And we're working with children from all over. They come from 11 different community areas. We work with students, but Mostly our focus is young livestock herders, children who are out every day with their goats and sheep and camels who are coming into contact with wildlife. So we work with them. They come and spend five days at a Lion Kids Camp base that we have set up. And I'm really excited that you're all going to see this. It's a really unique little tented camp. It's about 30 minutes away from our main camp here. And the children come very shy first, very a little bit uh, quiet and scared when they arrive, but they leave completely transformed. They're so excited about anything and everything to do with wildlife. And the biggest highlight for them is seeing wildlife close up and in a positive environment, in a positive way. So children yeah. get to go on safari, which is, you know, a lot of these children have never been on safari. So we have this big bush bus that takes 25 kids and it's got big windows. And of course, the highlight is seeing their first ever lion. So they get yeah. to spend a whole, a whole day in Samburu National Reserve and 
uh, just get to see wildlife doing what wildlife do. So it's a really exciting, exciting part of the five day uh, camp. They get to play lots of games. They get to learn what it's like to be a lion in a community area and they learn all this through very interactive fun ways so it's it's a very immersive educational experience for the children and it has resulted in so many children who are not children anymore because we started this program so long ago and some of them right. are now employed by us so some of them work for us alliance our warrior watch coordinator, his name is Kasian, so he's our new head warrior. He started off in Lion Kids Camp. And I'll tell you a funny story about him. He actually loved the Lion Kids Camp so much, he wanted to come back, but we try and not have the same kids so we can really cover the area. So he changed his name to come back. <laughs> and we all have That's dedication. Well, like, Cassian, you look the same. Why is your name saying something different? And he's like, yeah, I changed my name to come back. I really, really wanted to come back to kids camp. And it's those kind of oh, children who you just know that, you know, they've really got this spark and excitement and enthusiasm about lions and wildlife. And two years ago, we hired him and now he's our head warrior. So, yeah, the Lion Kids Camps is, is just a great program, bringing in a new group of conservationists. And so many of them are now part of our team. So it's been wonderful to see how the program has grown. That's probably the best feedback you could ever ask for, someone going to change their name so they can come back. But there's a lovely little snippet on your website. So, um, you know, this is a, a testimonial from a, obviously one of the attendants where it says, when I returned home from the Lions Kids Camps, the first thing I told my parents was to make the environment clean. I taught them how to conserve and protect our wildlife, not to poach or kill. I told them that our wildlife is in our hands. And that's incredible because, you know, you, you just, you're planting the seed not only for those kids when they get older, but they're going back and changing the the kind of point of reference that so many people are, are grown are growing up with in these communities. So, um, you know, reaching a group of kids that sort of size, the impact and the knock-on effects of that must be incredible. As a, I think you've re even referred to them as message multipliers. Yeah, it's we've worked with almost 800 children now, and absolutely, it's not just 800 children who have been through this camp. The way the message has spread through family and friends and other students, it has been a, an amazing multi multiply effect. It really has been. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about Cura's Pride. That's something that's very close to your heart, but not necessarily for what many people might understand it to be. Yeah. So <laughs> love, love your dogs. I do love my dog. One is sitting right here, Nanyore. Kura has just walked off because he heard the lunch bell. And every time he hears the lunch <laughs> bell, he thinks he can get a treat. So he's walked off down. Um, so we, I think over time, we had seen that the threat of retaliation and, you know, sort of those initial threats we were dealing with were changing and new threats were coming along. And one of those threats is the threat of disease. And we were suddenly seeing uh, wild dogs being affected badly in 2017, a huge number of the, they're critically endangered. It's an amazing animal that I absolutely love, but they suddenly disappeared. And we learned that canine distemper was really affecting the wild dog population here. We would see jackals with rabies. We had a lot of hyena incidents where rabid hyenas were attacking people. And for so long, there was not a lot we could do about this because our capacity was 
was limited. Our team was small. But I kept seeing this huge threat just creeping up on us, this threat of disease. And then finally, a couple of years ago, we were able to start this program, Kura's Pride. We started it in 2019. It's named after my dog, Kura, who, uh, yes, walked into our lives uh, 11 years, 10 years ago. Now. It, it is interesting. She's doing exactly what I was going to talk about. But when so when Kura arrived, he was not very well looked after. His welfare was poor. He was hungry. But after three months of care and his he just completely changed and he became the most vigilant protective dog. And same with Nanuri. It, it really was inspiration behind Kura's pride to see how can we improve domestic animal welfare to stop the spread of disease to wild carnivores, but also try and improve their welfare so they can be more alert and vigilant when they're out so there with yeah exactly. so dogs are so valuable in this community they they go out and accompany herders and goats all day and at night they are the first alarm alarm system every time a hyena comes close to the boma every time they you know just this a sense of a hyena in the in the village area it's the dogs that are really making that racket um but it alerts the livestock owner to the presence of a carnivore and then they can come out and chase the wild carnivores away so this is only possible if the dogs are in good condition often they're hungry they've got diseases there's a lot of issues so now we have a domestic animal veterinary unit and it's run by an, an amazing young kenyan vet jess and she She's out every day doing disease surveillance. She is vaccinating dogs and cats. In fact, she's starting a food vaccination campaign next week. Nanyuri, come on. She's, uh, yeah, she's, she's doing a lot of vaccination starting next week. She's also doing population control. So she's doing spaying and neutering. The fourth thing that Jess works on is every time a domestic animal has been attacked by a wild animal, now she can treat the treat the camel or cow or, or any 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 domestic animal that has been attacked. She's done so many cases over the past year from camels that were attacked by lions, from goats that were attacked by crocodiles or baboons. It's just been amazing to see that now we can actually go out and treat the domestic animals that have been um, fortunately haven't been killed, but still have severe injuries. She's done operations out in the wild. And it's it's been an amazing program with so much impact. And it's not impact that happens 10 years later or 20 years later. It's daily impact. It's immediate. It's, yeah. in, it's, immediate. it's really a fantastic program. And of course, very and, close to my heart. And I, I think it was two years ago now that um, I, I remember seeing clips and posts of you with the wild dogs that are denned uh, in the in the park. And, you know, just how exciting that was, knowing that you'd just gone through this process of doing these mass inoculations across the board and giving those dogs an even better chance of not being exposed to rabies and canine distemper and that sort of thing. It must have been very uh, a great feeling to know that you'd kind of anticipated that because when you when you talk about conservation initiatives and hang on, here's a Wasso Lions. First of all, you've got a, a cat lover who loves dogs, which is weird. Um, <laughs> and now they're going out and inoculating local dogs. But I thought this was a, a lion conservation thing. So it's it's it just goes to show how it's not just, a, it's a multifaceted approach to conservation. It, it's people, it's wildlife, it's the living conditions. It, it, there's so many different layers to what you guys are doing in this landscape. There's definitely, it's, it's a very holistic approach we take. And 
I think it's so important to work with everyone, whether it's women, children, elders, warriors, just basically involving everyone in conservation. And as Jenneria said, everyone's been doing it anyway for generations. It's just, it's getting harder because the threats are, are increasing. The challenges the communities face are increasing. The river keeps drying up. The droughts are getting longer. So that sort of, that coexistence is getting harder. But as long as it's all being community led and there's that continued ownership, then I have a lot of hope that definitely coexistence will continue. And yes, that moment when I saw those nine pups gave me so much joy. And I was so just was so excited because I think it was a year and a half before that I saw a very sick wild dog with distemper and it died, you know, in a couple of hours. And then you know, to have these nine nine pups. It was October 2021, and they had their den was right next to Sasab Lodge. So for me, it was a 10 minute drive. I would show up there every morning and evening, and just see nine wild dog pups playing around. It was just amazing. I loved it. Incredible. And it such a sense of, yeah, our work is making a difference. And it's here's these nine, you know, healthy pups, very safe, and just doing what wild dogs do. So. Definitely a great, great time. So over and above what we've kind of covered here, you've got a number of other projects on the go and research is obviously a, an element of that as well. But, you know, this doesn't all just happen. There's There's got to be significant funding behind this. And you've got donors and partners around the world that are contributing to Ewaso Alliance um, and making the work that you guys do possible. Yeah, so we started off really small. There was only a team of four of us. And I'll never forget my first grant that we received. It was in 2008 and it was for $3,000. And I thought, wow, we can survive off $3,000 for a very long time. And we did. We almost made it through a whole year with that $3,000 grant. And we just I, it also gave me so much um so much hope that I'm like wow someone believes in us we got our first grant and that sort of helped trigger more sort of confidence in knowing how to try and raise funding whether it was through grant organizations or through zoos we had a couple of zoos that have been very supportive of our work and a lot of individual donors came through for us, especially from 2012 onwards. We became partners with the Wildlife Conservation Network, which is a US 501c3. And they act as our fiscal sponsor and have been amazing. Every donation gets rooted through them and we get 100% of that donation made, which is amazing. And they also introduced us to a number of individual donors who've really kept us going. So from $3,000, we're now at a budget of a million dollars. So we've really grown in the last 15 years from a team of four to a team of 64. Last year alone, we brought on seven new team members. So yes, our capacity has definitely grown. We have a group of managers who are in charge of all these various programs. And there's three directors, myself, Jennery, and Toby, who provide oversight. And just, yeah, it's it's really exciting to see how every program has their own manager who's sort of operating and then working together to try and ensure that everything is aligned. And the it's just, yeah, I think what, what has really come out of all this is just seeing our lions do well. We've got our highest lion population in a very long time. And just just yesterday alone, Letapukwa sent us a message saying there's 12 lions here. And it's not normal to see 12 lions in one area because that landscape, yeah. Yeah, 
our lions here are quite solitary or in very small groups. But yeah, they all came together. And when it gets this dry, they do tend to come together. And yeah, he had 12 lions yesterday. We were very jealous of him. So Jenneria went rushing off this morning to try and find them himself. <laughs> That's amazing. And, and talking about finding lions, seeing lions and, and having people involved. And um, part of what uh, we're chatting about today is just kind of it's not public knowledge yet, so anyone listening to this now is probably going to get the inside scoop, and we already have three people signed up. But we're going to be coming through um, in November this year to spend a week in this landscape, um, kind of working, connecting with the Owasso Lions team. Uh, we're also going to be touching base with the Grevy Zebra Trust. We're going to be working with um, the Safe Samburu team that are doing some great work on the ground there. And then also with... Um, the Sasab uh, Community Trust helped me remember, the remind me foot, of the Footprint Foundation. The Footprint Foundation, exactly, that's it, um, from an educational level. And so the trip that we've crafted is going to put people in this landscape for a period of seven nights, staying at Sasab Lodge, which is a beautiful lodge overlooking this magnificent landscape and very close to where you said you saw wild dogs. We can add that to the list, can we? We just place an order beforehand. Um, <laughs> But then, you know, over the course of the week, exposing people to all of these incredible individuals and initiatives that are taking place on the ground. And um, as part of the trip, the costs of this trip, we're actually going to be collecting and distributing funds to the various organizations. So I think we've got a, a figure of around $7,000 to the Owasso Lions. And, um, you know, you, you've spoken about your funding, but I, one thing that I, I know for sure is that every little bit counts. It can often be the, the difference between having one extra Lion Kids camp in that year and not. Um, and then for some of the, the other side of things, so the, the Footprint Alliance, um, there we, we're looking at putting a, a young girl from the community through secondary school, which, you know, that is incredible. That is hugely significant, um, not only for, for that individual, but, you know, in the context of a family where perhaps no one has had that opportunity before. Um, and you know, these, this is not the first trip that I've kind of conceptualized of this nature. We've done this when we've worked with Paul Funston from um, Panthera, and we've done this in the Wangi landscape. But I'm particularly excited to to showcase the good work that is being done by the likes of Iwaso Lions and the rest of the guys that are, are working in this landscape. Because I do believe that, as you've said, very much like Wangi, it's a bit of a melting pot where all of these elements come together. So to give people an, an opportunity to sit around the table and expand on some of these ideas and understand a little bit more uh, of what the challenges are on the ground and to actually physically see the challenges, the distances, the the environment, the 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 ways that communities still have to live and coexist around uh, these animals. Um, I think it's a it's a wonderful experience that is so much more than just a safari. It's yes, we'll take some photographs along the way. We're going to see some incredible wildlife, and we are. I mean, you know, the Westgate community. It, it's not in the national reserve, but this for someone who hasn't perhaps explored these kind of landscapes before. These community conservancies are often just as rich, if not more so, from a biodiversity perspective. Um, so people coming on this trip, they're going to be exposed to, yes, the wildlife, but they're going to walk away with a far deeper appreciation, I think, for what it means to protect wildlife outside of a national reserve or a protected area. Yeah, and I think it's 
this is such a unique opportunity, Andrew. It's it's so different up here. You're not in a protected area. When you see an elephant walking through this landscape, you know that this is just a wild free elephant the way it used to roam, you know. Not there's no fences, there's no there's no real protection. It's not in a national park. When you see a lion here, it's just it's I still get that feeling every time of when I see a lion outside a protected area, I get that feeling of wow, this is my first ever lion. It is just amazing to see wildlife around these areas, living alongside people and just immersing yourself in the Samburu culture. It's just, it's so special. It's such a unique culture. It is such a spectacular landscape. You really can't go wrong. And as you say, it's not a typical safari. It is gonna it's a it's a it's a real life changer. I mean a lot of people who've come here and have really got to see what it's really like, like really through the eyes of all of us and the community, just leave changed. It it's just it's it's like me, I can never leave because I feel like wherever else I go, I'm like, no, 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 it's um there's nothing like Samburu. Uh so yes, it's gonna be a very, very special trip here and we're very excited. And I think life-changing for the people who um, come on the trip, but beyond that, you know, whenever you go into a national reserve, you pay your conservation fees, and that goes into the various channels that it does, and eventually there's community involvement there. But um, not only are the guests' lives going to be changed by the experiences they're going to have, but the, the legacy that they're going to leave behind and the differences that they're going to make. I mean, the, the sort of um, we're, we're talking about funding a Lions Kids Camp just with the donation to Owasso Lions, but potentially giving more Blackview units and technology in the hands of the, the warriors out there and for the researchers. So we're enabling along the way. And I, I think that's going to, you know, for I think since COVID, people are looking for ways to travel with a little bit more purpose and yeah. to perhaps um, not simply go on a safari to fully enjoy themselves, but to enjoy themselves and make a difference, a tangible difference yeah. in someone else's life. And so the big focus for, for this trip, as it has been with all the others, is that the guests that are joining us, it's not simply a check that gets handed over. They're going to yeah. see their money at work and they're going to see the difference that it makes um, because it is, it's something as small as a, a pair of fresh boots or a backpack and a new tent for guys to go and do an anti-poaching patrol or something along those lines that makes a world of difference to that individual. Absolutely. Every single amount makes a difference. Every single amount. And it's 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 incredible to see how far it actually goes. So I'm I'm excited for your your group to see that, to see it firsthand, to see where the funds go and how it's being used and how it's saving lions, because you actually will see it. So yeah, it's it's a it's a huge impact. Excellent. Shivani, thank you so much for your time. For anyone who has now just got a sparked a new interest in Iwasa Lions, perhaps you hadn't heard about them, where have you been um, before this? Uh, the website is awasolions.org and you can go check out all the details on the team, their projects, um, their involvement and um, the conservation work that they're getting up to in this incredible landscape. Shivani, thank you again for your time. Really, really appreciate it. Lovely to connect with you. Thanks, Andrew. Thank you.